Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina. Are you ready to take the couch? What's up, guys? So I just want to remind you about the ways you can follow me. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm Dr. Delvina at Dr. D as in Delta, E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A. I no longer have a Dr. Delvina Twitter or a Dr. Delvina Facebook professional page. Both of those were unpublished. Um, I won't get into the details of that, but... um, Instead of following Dr. Delvina on Twitter, follow the office Twitter page, which is, which is DRT Brain Love, DRT Brain Love, B-R-A-I-N-L-O-V-E, DRT as in Dr. T, DRT. And on Facebook, you can follow the Brain Love podcast. And of course, if you are not following me on Instagram, follow me at Dr. Delvina. And my website is Dr. Delvina, Dr. Shorten, Dr. And then Delvina, D as in Delta, E L V as in Victor, E N A dot help, H E L P. As in help me, help me, Dr. Delvina. And um, tell your friends, tell everybody about the Brain Love podcast. Please subscribe. Subscribe either on Pandora, on iHeartRadio, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts. If you're on Anchor, Subscribe on Anchor. Show me some love, y'all. Show me some love. That's right. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Slow it down. Slow it down. The man is behind us. I don't know about you, but whenever I hear sirens, you know, it just kind of does something to me. Welcome to the couch, guys. It's another Sunday night. And tonight, I'm talking with a former police officer, 25 years on the force. I'm talking to Juan Dulcine, and he's going to share a lot of information with us. And I want you guys to hear what he's talking about. Hey, so, oops, I was trying to play the theme from Cop. Bad Boys, this is the other Bad Boys. Do you guys remember this? Shine. Shine, I think, is still in prison. But this is this is the old Bad Boys. I don't mean this Bad Boys. I mean, I'm sorry, my bad. This is the Bad Boys I'm talking about. So join me on the couch. I have Juan Docine with me tonight. And he's going to share everything, man. He was on the force for 25 years. And he's going to be honest about his experiences. If you're a law enforcement officer, if you know someone who's a law enforcement officer, please share this episode with them. Share this episode with your children, too, because I asked Officer Dulcine, what should teenagers, kids, people do when they're pulled over by the police? And he also shares with us a very traumatic event that he went through while he was on the force, which included him shooting and killing a man that he later learned was mentally challenged, had some mental health challenges. So, you know, we got to give some shine to these brothers and sisters in blue, man, because they're not all, they're not all bad news, man. So join us on the couch. Get ready. This is a real one. Welcome to the show, Mr. Officer. Hey, Mr. Dulcine. How you doing, doctor? I'm very well. How are you? Doing well, thank God. And thank you to you for your service to our community for so many years. How many years did you give the community as a police officer? 25 years total. Wow, wow, wow. Almost three decades of roughing it in these streets out here in these communities here in South Florida. You were always in Dade County in Miami, correct? For the most part, yes, I did have a, I did have a federal task force credentials where you know we went out of the county, but for the most part, yes, I was um, stationed out of North uh, down in Miami Dade County, correct? How old were you when you joined the force? Let's see. I started the academy. I was twenty-five in the academy, 
uh, had a year long academy. It's a part-time academy. And then uh, I was 26 when I got sworn in. Mm. And what made you want to become a police officer, a, a first responder? Actually, I wanted to be a cop long before that. Um, I had to wait a little bit. I didn't have the greatest driving history before I was a police officer. I had a lot of tickets. And so I had to wait a bit. I, you know, had to sell my uh, fast cars that I had as a young kid and wait a little while. But when I came here to the, to the States, I saw how police work was, you know, compared to how it is back home, where I'm from. And, you know, it's a little bit different. I saw officers in action, helping people and involved in the community. I'm like, man, I, I want to be one of those guys, you know? So at my young age, when I came in, I was about 15 years old. And I started seeing how police work was here in the, in the States. That inspired me right away. Um, and I said, I want to become a cop. And I had that in my mind uh, pretty much within a few months of being here in the United States. Tell folks, where are you from when you say back home? Uh, Dominican Republic, uh, originally born and raised in Dominican Republic. Okay. And um, so your ethnicity is Hispanic, you're Latino. Correct. I'm a, I'm a mix. My, um, my father uh, is a Haitian from Haitian descent and my mother, she's Dominican. So I'm half Dominican, half Haitian. Okay. I'm Hispanic, but I'm a you know, very dark skinned um, mm -hmm. person. And so um, as a dark skinned person, as a minority, you came to America, you said around the age of 15 from the Dominican Republic? That's correct, yes ma'am. And you saw how police work was done here and you came to Florida first, correct? Correct, straight to Florida, yes ma'am. Do you remember anything from that age that stood out that uh, pretty much influenced the decision to become a police officer? And the reason why I'm asking you, officer, is because um, a lot of kids and teenagers don't want to become police officers. It is not the career option that is the most popular right now. And of course, there's been a lot of um, politicized situations amongst the force. There's been a lot of situations that have been, um, you know, broadcast on social media with racism and uh, police officers shooting Black folks who really weren't guilty yet because they haven't been proven guilty, you know. So there, there's just been a lot of bad press for police officers. Um, and so at the age of 15, you as a minority, you aspired to become a police officer. Was there something specific that stood out for you at that time that you can recall? Yeah, there were many different incidents. I remember working at a store uh, where I worked at, uh, it's called, uh, it was called back then Zuby Supermarket on Northwest 2nd and 57. It was uh, uh, a supermarket owned by a gentleman who was uh, from Cuban descent, but the majority of the customers were Haitian, you know, right in the middle of Little Haiti. And I remember the police being called once a uh, lady fell, lady, old lady fell um, from the store and the police came and, you know, the, the fire rescue came, but the officers, you know, when I looked, they weren't just there just to arrest people, they were also there to help people. So they were sitting there helping the old lady before fire rescue got there and, you know, giving her first aid and things like that. Um, I've seen all the incidents where the officers were just chasing people down the street and chasing, you know, the bad guys, stealing, and, you know, it's a bit of a, bit of a rough area down in that area, a lot of drugs and, and uh, a lot of shootings and things like that. And you saw the officers in action putting themselves, themselves in, in harm's way you know, to apprehend the bad guy and things of that nature. So it was a combination of things, you know what I mean? I, I, I see the cops out there almost on a daily basis. It's always something happening. Yeah, yeah, you guys are definitely in, in danger anytime you leave your house and you report to work. Um, so that's why I'm so grateful for what you do because you help keep order in the communities. And not every Correct. police officer is a bad police officer. I have cousins who are, law enforcement officers as well. Um, so you retired recently. I believe that was what, in 2020? Correct, May of 2020. Do you regret your decision to retire? <sighs> Part of me still wants the job, still wants to work because it's 25 years. Um, I miss the job, I know I do. I keep telling myself, no, I don't want to retire, but I know in me somewhere, I, I really wish I, you know, I, I would have stayed longer. I couldn't stay any longer because that was my time. 
Um, I finished my job and I had to leave. But a part of me does, you know, I would probably go get a job as a police officer somewhere else. I just can't do that right now. But I do miss it. Definitely miss the job. What do you miss about something that's so scary and life-threatening? You know, I think that you've done something for so long, regardless of how bad or it may be, it's just, it becomes part of you. You know, it becomes part of you. You, you know, the radio, the calls going out, you responding to people's homes, to stores, to different locations, just to help people for the most part. You know what I mean? I know that some people don't see it as helping because you have to take people's freedoms away at some point and, and, and take them to jail and things like that. But believe it or not, that's still helping people because you may not be directly helping that person you're arresting, but you're helping the person that was victimized by that person. And sometimes even the person you're arresting themselves, you're actually helping them. They just don't realize it at the moment, you know? Um, but no, I, I, I miss the job altogether. You know, the people, you don't, even, as a police officer, you never do the same thing every day. You know, there's always something different. It's always a new challenge. There are a lot of calls that are similar, but they're always a little bit different on, on each one that you go to. So I, I miss that about the job, you know? Thanks for sharing that. So you're saying it ain't all bad like you think, Dr. Delvina. There's a lot of good in, in, in what, I, what you did, what you performed in your job duties. Correct. Now, you know, first responders, law enforcement officers, um, EMS workers, to me, they're very similar to the military, the armed forces, because you all are expected to deal with and face trauma on a regular basis. And up until recently, no one really asked you if you were okay. And it's really, um, it's mind boggling to think that for so long we expected folks who were exposed to so many traumas to just deal on their own and not have mental health needs. And the population where mental health disorders is stigmatized the most is in the military as well as in first responders, law enforcement officers. That's correct. Did, did you ever feel like we didn't say what um, community you worked in or what police department you worked for or which police department you retired from, but did you ever feel like during your 25 years of working for the police departments, if it was more than one, did you ever feel like a majority of the folks there cared about the mental health and wellness of you and your fellow comrades? No, unfortunately, no. Um, it's, it's like you said, the stigma is there. And most of us, most of us at some point or another are all dealing with some type of mental issue, mental stress due to what we're exposed to on a you know, everyday basis. And so, and not only, you know, police officers, dispatchers as well, who are the ones taking the calls and things like that, you know, it, it oh, takes absolutely. a toll on you. Yeah. And they don't, they don't, you know, they don't, the stigma is there, like you said, they don't, it's all those like, nah, toughen it up, man. Just deal with it, that type of thing. And no, no one really cares. I mean, you may find a person here or there who's also been through some of these things, who can see that you're going through something and they may pull you to the side. Hey man, are you okay? you know, because they've been there. But unfortunately, um, you know, now is when they're kind of beginning to open up and they have, you know, classes and seminars and things of that nature. But for many, many, many years, it was like, hey, you know, this happened to you and go deal with it on your own, pretty much. So, so that's the locker room talk amongst police officers is basically, you know, deal with it. Don't bitch, don't moan, don't complain. We're all going through it. You got to get through it the best way you can. Correct. Did you guys have access to resources? Like, was there a psychologist available to you that you guys felt you could trust and confide in? No, not for many years. Not for many years. Um, some departments now do have psychologists uh, that come in and, and speak to us and things like that. They have the seminars and these classes available. But for many years, now that did not happen. The only thing they had is that um, if you were involved in a major incident um, 
and again, what's a major incident, right? Because major incident, what could be something very uh, major for me may not be so bad for you. You know what I mean? Everybody's right. different. So mm -hmm. the only thing they had in the books was if you're involved, let's say in an office involved shooting, then on the third day, you had to go see a psychiatrist and they will ask you a few questions and a couple of things and how do you feel and things of that nature. And then they'll say, okay, yeah, you go back to work, you're good to go back to work or no, you're not. And again, unfortunately, the locker room talk is, hey, they're going to send you to a psychiatrist, tell them that you're okay so you can go back to work. And okay, so you go tell them, hey, I'm good. I'm even though you're hiding things, you wow. know, being truthful. Wait, you wait, wait, wait. One second. So you, they would tell you guys, you're going to see the mental health expert. Say you're okay, so you can get back to work. Pretty much, yeah. Between you know, friends and other colleagues, so they've been there. You know, you want to come back to work. You know, just tell them you're okay. So, otherwise, they're going to look at you like you, you know, you you you're crazy, and you can come back to work. It's going to delay you coming back to work, that type of thing. So you go with the routine, you know, you go with the routine, the tough guy routine. You know, I'm going to the ace. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No doubt. Many times, unfortunately. And after you went to see the mental health expert and you misrepresented and said you were just fine. Well, actually, I just assumed that you misrepresented and said you were fine. Were you fine during those times that you went to see the mental health expert? Maybe one occasion I was fine, but the others, the others, no. I just had to, you know, hold back my tears and tell them I'm good. I'm ready to go back to work because, you know, you want your job. You want to get back to work and you don't want people pointing fingers at you. But no, for the most part. I mean, I've been involved in a lot of things. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm always, I always have been a very proactive officer. In other words, I, I don't sit on the tree reading a newspaper type of thing. I'm always out there doing my job. And unfortunately, when you are doing that, you, you are exposed to a lot of things. It's almost like a taxi driver who drives a lot. And then compared to someone who just drives every Sunday, you know, you're not prone to get into an accident as much as a taxi driver driving every day for a living. So when you are very proactive and you are there doing your job, you are, you, you know, you are more exposed. Things are going to happen. That's just the way it is. And so, no, I've been beat up mentally like you won't believe. And I've been trying to cover it up for years. Oh, wow. So the mental health expert, would he, would he or she talk to you extensively and try to uncover if you were really misrepresenting or would you just say I'm fine I'm good and you would say no to all the questions and then after 15 minutes they would let you go out the door that was pretty much it uh, it was like a routine you know hey I'm gonna get you back to work you had the questions you answer the questions and okay I, I think you're okay you look good see you later you have my blessings you're gone it, was it was the mental health ex oh I'm sorry, go I'm sorry ahead. Go ahead. no you go ahead I'm sorry no, 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 you, you were in the middle of a statement. I'm sorry. No, no, I'm just saying that, you know, they would just pretty much just ask you these questions, almost like a routine. It's pretty much just, you know, in other words, it's like you expect it to answer everything, you know, the way it should be so you can get back to work. But they didn't really ask those tough questions and really poke and check, you know, if you just went yeah. there and answered no, you're good to go. And that was it. That's almost like that's what they wanted you to say. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So was the mental health professional an employee of the police department? No, but they were hired by them. And so uh, I think many police departments will use the same person, uh, the same mm -hmm. company or practice, and they will just send you there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I wonder if that person is discouraged from pulling people off the workforce, pulling yeah, officers off the line. I will not be surprised with, with the shortage we have of police officers down here in South Florida. I will not be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. I want you to just get him back to work and call it a day. Why do you think there's such a shortage down here? Well, there's always been short for police because, you know, police departments that try to always uh, get the best, you know, the cream of the crop type of thing. You know what I mean? Because, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you know, there were some big errors, big mistakes made throughout the years with the hiring of police officers. Remember, you're giving someone a lot of power. You know, when you give, you swear in a police officer, you know, 
people think is the badge, is the gun. It's not. It's none of that per se. It's a title, and what you're able to do with that title, you know, it carries a lot of power. You know what I mean? I mean, think it about it. It, it. You know, not know that I, I hope I have to do anything like that. But you, as a police officer, as a regular patrol police officer, you actually have the power to arrest the president of the United States. Let's say that a president left the White House, no um, no bodyguards, no secret service, sneaks out, gets into a car, driving drunk, you can arrest them. You have that power, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's a job that carries a lot of weight, a lot of power. And so you want to hire the right person to do that job. And so there's always been a lot of, uh, um, I guess, careful steps being, uh, steps being made before you hire a police officer. So, you know, the hiring process, at least when I started, was, you know, was pretty good. Uh, but now, now, fast forward today, with everything that's going on, it's even worse. I mean, we have offices that were working and with all these, all these you know, civil unrest and mistrust of the police, people not trusting the police and bear honest, some officers just doing stupid and dumb stuff and criminal stuff that uh, some people are like, nah, man, I'm not doing that job. And some people on the job just got up and left and quit. So it made it even more difficult now, you know, because it, the, the bottom line is, and I know that, um, you know, people think that cops are like some special human being. In a way, I think we are because of the job that we do. But nevertheless, what I'm trying to say is, is that we're still human beings, right? We're human beings and we tend to make mistakes, you know, and then when you're dealing with human beings, you can deal with somebody who's having a good day today, somebody who's having a bad day today. You know, and I can tell you myself, uh, an error that I made once where I ended up, you know, I yelled at this lady, I never forget that, I yelled at this lady really, really bad because she cut me off, ran a red light and cut me off. But I got so upset at her because of the fact that I had a, big fight my uh, spouse at the time had a big argument all night big argument in the morning and this lady cut me off as I was patrolling and almost crashed into my car and I was already you know upset build up and I yelled at this lady really bad yeah, but that's not my mm -hmm. character I remember I went home that night I couldn't even sleep because I yelled at her so bad that I went back the next day and I had to find her and apologize um wow so you, you wait 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 you found her and apologized to her Yes, I mean, of course, I had her driver's license information. I gave her a ticket for running the red light. And so I had the oh, address and I knew more or less what yeah. time it happened. So I knew what time she was going to be. Because she was on her, on her way home. She was trying to get home, you know, after working a long shift. And so I never forget that lady ever. Um, wow. So How I went back and I, of you. That, I, I so had to. <laughs> wow. I had to do it for myself, honestly. Because like, yeah, that's not my character, you know what I mean? Uh, and so I had to go back and apologize. I said, look, I'm sorry. And she was like, no, 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 it's my fault. I ran the red light. I said, no, no, no. Yeah, in fact, you ran the red light. That's true, but I should never speak to you the way, the way I spoke to you. And so, you know, then I took care, you know, I, I made sure that she was she was made whole and things like that when, you know, time came for, yeah. you know, the citation and things like that because I had to do something for the lady because that's just not me. And I learned from there that anytime I was so upset like that, I would call out sick. You know, didn't happen many times, but if I knew that I wasn't, proper to go out on the street because again job carries a lot of weight you don't want to take out your problems with somebody else out of the street that's not a good combination yeah. yeah yeah and and you make such a very good point and that that point is that police officers are human beings i think oftentimes because of the way that we look at you all as you said you have a lot of power you have a lot of power and, and you, you have the power to take away someone's freedom whether they deserve it or not, really, when you think about yeah. it, you could really just pull someone over and say they did something or whatever, or stop them walking down the street, which happens a lot, and say they did something when they did not. And it would be their burden to prove that they didn't do what the officer said they did. That is true. That is true. And, and that's a lot of power. And, um, just saying and reminding us that you guys are human beings and that you have emotions, you have feelings, you go through things in life. You also have to live life as well. And you guys have problems too. Um, the that same problems that we have to balance and we have to manage 
on a day-to-day basis basis so do you guys you have relationships like you just said you got into it with your significant other I, I believe you said your wife right yes ma'am you guys got into it so you have personal relationships you have children that you're trying to rear and raise and take care of and sometimes the kids are doing things that they shouldn't be doing I remember I was teaching a class to some police officers and this lady mentioned having a problem child. Every other day, the school was calling her. She's trying to patrol or um, you know, take care of the, the part of the community that she's in charge of or um, she's policing and she's getting calls from her, her child's school every other day. You guys yeah. also have financial hardships like we do. Um, you know, you also get sick. You have family members who get sick and who pass away unexpectedly. Um, all of these things. And so I, I think it behooves us to remember when we're dealing with any person, anyone, but also police officers, we can't leave you guys out of the equation that you could be going through something that day. That is correct. And I tell people, I used to tell people, I used to go to people's houses, they were yelling and screaming. Sometimes it came to a point that, um, you know, because you learn, as you go through the years, you learn. And you go to somebody, so someone's house and they're having a domestic problem and they're yelling, screaming at each other. And you step in. I mean, of course, you got to make sure that somebody, nobody's shooting at anybody at first. But now you step in, you step in, and now you can't even get awarded because they're mm -hmm. yelling and screaming so much at each other. And so I learned through the years that what I, believe it or not, may sound funny, but I will show up to the call with a partner of mine who already, already knew the drill. And we will show up. And um, we just stopped talking about, you know, we try to talk to the people, to the parties involved, and they were just yelling and screaming at each other so much. We'll go, okay, you know, you let us know when you want us to, to, uh, to step in and talk to you guys. And we will turn around and start talking about football or whatever. Now, it sounded stupid, but they will turn around and look at us like, are these guys serious? And then they will <laughs> stop screaming. Because if you start screaming above them, now you're getting the shouting right. into a shouting match with them, and now things will just get out of control. Because now they're already yelling at each other. Now you step in and you try to, you know, restore order. Hey, no, you be quiet. You go over here. Let me talk. You call me here. You know, I'm here because you call me. And let me do my job. And that never worked. That, that, very seldom did I ever work. Because the louder you talk, the louder they want to talk. And at the end of the day, they're in their house. So they have the right to have the power being in their house. And now you step in, even though they call you now, mind you, they call you. But now you're stepping mm -hmm. in, trying to you know, restore order that didn't work many times. So I will just talk about something else. And they will sit there and look at you like, is this guy really for real? He's not going to make us shut up or anything. And I will just sit there and talk about whatever. <laughs> and then they will turn around and say, okay, I'm ready, officer. You know, that, that, that type of thing. But that, that was a better resolution for me, at least, than yelling and screaming at them to try to get them to be quiet. Because that seldom did I ever work. Mm -hmm. You're so correct. That was very clever. Got to give it to you. <laughs> What's one of the most traumatizing things, if you care to say, if you care to share with the listeners, what's one of the most traumatizing things, things that you had to, to deal with as a police officer that you'll never forget? Oh, I tell you. And so I work in South Florida, like I said, Miami-Dade County mostly. And uh, I, I've been involved in a lot of things, a lot of things. Um, just like you have, you have, you know, you have people, doctors, let's say that they always get that, that real complicated surgery, you know, that they just have that, I don't know what you want to call it, luck or whatever you want to call it. They just like, they're always the person to get that one patient or to get that surgery or a teacher who just happens to be extra proactive for the kids. Why not? You know, so I always been the guy, like I said, that I, I didn't like to sit at a restaurant and eat for an hour. That's not me. I like to always be out there working, you know? And so that comes to the price. That comes to the price. And I pay the price many times over. So I was involved in an office involved shooting some years ago. And um, I have had more than one shooting, right? I have more than one office involved shooting. But this one is one the one that hits me the most. The two... There are, two, there are two of them, but the, the, the last one, for, one I'm going to tell you now is the one that, that hits me the most, which is my last one. Um, and so I was having, remember I was at the back of the station finishing up a report 
for an, for an arrest that I made the night before. And as I'm writing the report, um, I remember a call going out on the radio. And the call on the radio said there's a male with a rifle walking northbound. Um, and uh, he was pointing the, the rifle at people. And I remember saying to myself, I, I, I closed my laptop and I was going to put my car, close the laptop, put the car in drive. And I began, and I said, I'm going to, I'm heading over there. I've never been shy, uh, you know, to show up on a call as a hot call, as we call a hot call, a dangerous call. Never been shy to do that. A bit of a adrenaline junkie, to be completely honest. And, uh, but then something, then I said, no, no, I'm not going, man. I just, I just had another shooting eight months ago. I'm not going to this one. Yeah, so I put my car back in park and I kept typing. And then um, dispatcher gets on again and says, another caller, another caller just called and said that he pointed the rifle at her. She almost crashed. Another call just came in. He pointed the, the rifle at a dog. And then the other person, the dispatcher gets on again. Now he's walking towards the park. And I said, oh no, I got to get there. Now, maybe 30 seconds, 45 seconds I've gone at this point. Now, I'm, I wasn't on regular patrol, so it wasn't my job to respond per se, right? But I didn't want to go. I didn't want to get into another shooting. I really didn't. My previous shooting was not even clear yet. Every time we get involved in a shooting, we become the suspect. We're not a victim in the shooting. We are a suspect, right? And so investigations have to be done by our department, by internal affairs, and also the state attorney's office. And you don't know if you're going to be clear or not. You could be sent to prison, right? And so I said, I don't want to go. I, I haven't been, been clear that last shooting. So I was hesitating not to go, not because I was scared. I just didn't want to get into another shooting for getting in trouble type of thing. But when I saw the time lapsing and they kept calling and and they said that he was heading towards a park. I'm thinking, man, there's children at the park. And so I, I said, I said, F it. I put my car in drive, lights and sirens on, and I'm heading over there. I remember as I made a left, I was about to make that left on the avenue. I got on and I said, give out my unit number. I said, 777, show me arrival in the area. Hold the air, meaning I don't want anybody else transmitting because I'm about to pull up on this call. And I kept saying, how come nobody else is here yet? Somebody else should be here, but nobody else was there. I'm that, one, I'm that person that usually gets there first, you know? So I pull up. As I'm driving down the avenue, they're holding the air for me. I never forget such a Jamaican lady. She was in a Lexus, in a gold Lexus, SUV, small SUV. And she stuck her hand out the window. She was waving at me. So I pulled up next to her. She says, officer, officer, there's a guy down there with a big rifle. Please be careful, sir. Please be careful. And I looked down the street, and all I saw was a guy walking with a briefcase, you know, with a briefcase like on, a, on wheels. And he had an umbrella in the left hand. I goes, no, man, that's an umbrella. She says, no, not him. She said, look beyond him. Look all the way down. And I looked, sure enough, about three blocks down, and I could see a guy way down there. I said, that's the guy way down there. I go, okay, okay, man, just stop here. Let me go check it out. I continue driving. Now, everything I'm telling you, even though it's taking a bit to tell you, right, it really happened within, God, I don't know, I'm thinking 20 seconds total, right? Right. I'm just breaking it down for you. And then another guy, I think it was a red Chevy Yukon, if I remember correctly old type, box type, he flashes his headlights at me. He's panic looking male. He flashes the headlights. And uh, and uh, he tells me the same thing. He said, hey, listen, this guy almost shot at me. I almost crashed head on with oncoming traffic. Please be careful, he got a big rifle on. So I said, okay, sir, just go to the side. Let me try to deal with it. So I continue south and then I I didn't get very close to the guy because I had an experience 2001 where I had a, a shotgun to my face and that was my first shooting. I didn't want to get close to this guy. I said that he had a rifle. I didn't have my rifle that day. All I had was my pistol. And so, you know, a rifle has a lot more range than a pistol. I didn't want to get close. And so I, I, I blocked the avenue. I got out of my car. I pulled out my pistol. I saw the guy leaning against the, uh, it's like a retaining wall in front of this house but he was sideways to me. I didn't see anything in his, hand, in his hands at that time. And I pulled out my gun and I began to give him loud verbal commands. 
police, let me see your hands. Police, let me see your hands. And I was yelling and yelling. Police, let me see your hands. Police. As I'm doing that, I can hear another car coming. I didn't know what it was, but I could hear the engine roaring. And then I heard uh, an uh, officer friend of mine. He was in an undercover truck. And he's, my nickname, they call me Coco on the streets. And he says, Coco, get behind the engine block, get behind the engine block. So apparently I had moved, that's the whole, me giving the, the person commands. I stepped away from my vehicle. Usually when I stay in the gear, you your car in case you're taking fire so you can get behind the engine block for cover. But apparently I had moved and all the rush, adrenaline and everything else. And I didn't realize that. So he, take, he says, get behind my engine block. So I remember I took a step to the right to get behind his engine block. And then I began to take the second step. And at that time, the gentleman turned to the side, looking towards me now. And behind him with the retaining wall, yes. I didn't know it, because I tell you, when I first got that, I didn't see anything in his hand, but on top of the retaining wall on the grass, grassy area, he grabs, he puts his right hand there and he picks up the rifle. And uh, he picks up the rifle and he goes to go to a two-handed position. Oh boy. And, and in my hand, I said, oh God, he's gonna shoot. Lino, who's my partner, who's just, like I said, everything I'm telling you happened within seconds, you know? But I remember everything in slow motion for whatever reason, right? And I said, he's gonna shoot Lino because Lino is just about to get out of his car. Oh, so at that point, I, be, I moved back left and I began to rush south towards the guy. And I fired twice really fast. And then I fired one last round I, and I hit him. I was far away from him. I I was told that I, I didn't know it at the time because everything is happening so fast. One thing that people forget is that you don't have a lot of time to analyze things. I'm just telling you how everything played back in my head, like in slow motion. And I was told that I was like almost 26 yards away. We don't even practice shooting from 26 yards away because it's not, it's, so, you know, it's very difficult to hit a target with a pistol from, two, from right. 25 yards. So we shoot from 15 yards in. It's actually what we shoot. From it's 15 yards in. That's for FDLE, for you know, for the Department of Law Enforcement. That's what they require. And so I fire, and the guy went down. And I remember, you know, shaking a lot. And I, I told two guys, "What with me? What with me?" To make sure that he's not going to grab the rifle again. We go up, and uh, you know, he's down. The poor guy's dying, he's bleeding, dying. And so I. Uh, I told, I forgot which office. I said, hey, like, I feel sick. I think I'm going to throw up. So I holstered my gun. I said, somebody call fire rescue. Please call fire rescue. So the fire rescue is coming. And the officer is walking me back to my car. And I, I broke into a sweat. I remember I had the AC on blast. And I just thought I was going to just throw up all over the place. And so all that happened to find out either the was either the same day or the day before, I can't remember quite well now, that the guy, the guy was actually, had a mental, mental issues. He had the mentality of an 11 year old, he was 50 something years old, but he had the mentality of an 11 year old and the rifle was not even a real rifle. Oh my god! I, look, I looked at it, I looked at it, you know, right there and I thought it was real. Imagine when I was far away, I was 26 yards away, but when I was went on top of him, I thought it was a real rifle. And come to find out later, is that the rifle is not even real. And that the poor guy, even though he was 50 something years old, he only had a mentality of an 11 year old or something like that. I can't remember quite well what he was. Mm -hmm. So in his mind, I guess he thought it was a toy. Or something I don't. So that's the one that haunts me the most. The most. Well, you know, I know it's very unsettling for you. <clears throat> I, I I can tell it still affects you to this day. But you have to make a decision on the spot with what you're given, the information that you're provided. And all you knew was that this subject was walking the street and pointing a rifle at people. 
And clearly you weren't the only person who thought it was a real rifle. Everyone else who saw the rifle thought it was a real rifle as well. The guy told you he almost wrecked his car, the Jamaican lady with the gold Lexus. Everyone yeah. thought it looked like a real rifle. And even to the point of you thought he was going to shoot your partner when your partner was yeah. getting out of the car. And so, you know, I don't want you to keep reliving this experience and allowing it to cause you to feel regret or to feel guilt or of course another human being lost their life it's unfortunate but this is not something that you went looking for you didn't go looking to 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 start you know this issue or to pick a fight as we we say you encountered a dangerous suspicious person and you were protecting the block you were protecting the neighborhood it's unfortunate that the real issue here is not that you shot a, a man with uh, the mentality of a, of a child or the intellect of a child, but the real issue here is that we don't have mental health services in the state of Florida for these people who have mental health challenges. If we had the services and we could provide the services, this would have never happened. So we have to go look back at the real problem here, the root of the issue here is that this man should have been in treatment. He should have been in a psych unit somewhere receiving treatment. But because of the way the system is set up here, you know, it doesn't happen. You know, from your experience fighting Baker Acts and taking the mentally ill to the hospital, what happens? You probably see him back on the street the next day. Yeah, most of the time. Most yeah, of the time. so the issue here is not how you protected the neighborhood and the folks there in the community. The issue is our broken mental health system that we have in Florida. That's for sure. You know, I know that I did everything I was trained to do, um, you know, and I know that, you know, when I'm awake and I, and I talk about this thing because it's therapeutic for me because I'm able to, I'm able to vent. The problem is, you know, when I let my guard down, when I, try to go to bed at night that's when this these things come back come back to haunting you know and I, nightmares and sleepless nights and the teeth grinding and the cold sweats and things like that you know i know i did everything for my training but you know i'm a god believing person and so i i want to be good with god and i know i am but it's, it's still difficult you know at night it really gets it gets you know your mind plays tricks on you you know what i mean like yeah. I said, you know what, this is going back to what we were talking about before, is that I know that, yeah, they send you to a site when you have, get into a shooting and things like that, but if they were really trying to get to the root of the problem and try to really see how you really are doing after the shooting and whatever, not just a shooting, but, you know, I remember years ago, the value check crash, you know, and other crashes that have happened in people pulling out bodies from the Everglades for days and days and days, you know, that does something to a person after you see death so many times or your life, you know, flashes in front of you so many times, it does something to a person. You know, we are not machines, you know, and, and these rushes of adrenaline and, and, and danger in your face, little kids dead people dead and people dismembered by a train. I've seen all that. I've seen all that too many times, you know, and yeah. I'm just a human being with kids, you know? Yeah, people don't really get it. It's difficult. And like you said, if the mental health system here in South Florida, because we have so many people from so many different backgrounds that come here, um, you know, you would think that when the Marielle boat lift happened uh, in the eighties, they would have had something in place then because they had a, you know, um, going back, I don't know too much about it. I wasn't here in the States yet, but you know, we had some training about it. And I spoke to some officers, I'm a good friend of mine, a good Lieutenant friend of mine that worked with me in Kibis Kane police department. And he, he tell me the crazy stories that happened because, you know, as many people know, well, Castro, what he did, uh, a lot of good people from Cuba came over, you know, 
fleeing the island, fleeing the communist island. Well, Castro, what he did also, he emptied out the prisons and he emptied out the mental health hospitals in Cuba. And so you all, you all, you all want to go to America, go ahead. And so we ended up getting a lot of people that were already having real bad, you know, there were people that were in, in mental hospitals, you know, residing mental right. hospitals because they were a danger. And he just sent them all here to the States. And, and so you think that we will have something in place because we got inundated with people that were either in prison, people that were mental hospital. Again, and a lot of good people came over, but it was a mix of everything, you know what I mean? So you think that it will have something in place at that time, but they, they didn't, you know, still, you know, to now we're still having problems with the mental health system down here in South Florida. Yeah. They need yeah, to give yeah, a little yeah. more importance and you know, make it a priority. Well, I'm so glad that um, you have been working on your mental health and wellness. I see you doing push-ups on TikTok. You, you know, you have a push-up challenge. I know that you exercise regularly. You try to eat healthy. Um, you talk about some of your traumas. You access mental health care. And um, so you continue to do that. These things from your past don't have to hunt you forever. Um, access the things that are available to you. I, before we, before we, we go, there are two questions I have for you. We're going to take a break first and we're going to come back. And I want you to tell the listeners what they should be telling their children, their teenagers, their young, young men, young women also, when they get stopped by the police, what should they do? And then the other question I have for you is what would you tell your fellow police officers who are still currently out there in the communities, keeping our neighborhoods safe. How would you direct them moving forward based on your own experience? We'll be back, guys. Okay, so we're just taking a slight little break. I had to give Officer Dosini a couple of minutes. You know, things were, he was flashing back. He started to recall some trauma from his past, so we needed to go offline and just sort of reset. But um, we'll get back to it. He's going to answer these last two questions that I have about his advice to officers still out in the community, still working, still 5-0. And he's also going to tell us what should we tell our kids if they're pulled over or stopped by the police or walking down the street and... The police says, hey, you, let me ask you a question. What do they do? Does the police, do they have to have a reason to stop us and ask questions and give us demands? Officer Dosine is going to tell us, y'all. All right, let's get back on the couch. All right, guys, we're back on the couch again. We're here with Officer Juan Docine, he is now retired after serving the community for 25 years, 25 years. Whew. I thank you so much again for what you've done, uh, Mr. Docine. Before we took that break, you were telling us about a, a traumatic shooting that you were involved in some years ago. Um, thank you for sharing that experience. And for anyone who's ever been involved in a traumatizing experience, please, it's, it's quite common when folks are still in the throes of their job or performing their job, what happens is your brain can protect you. Certain processes take place so that you can still function and do your job, but you may not be okay. This is true of... Um, servicemen, military folks who are in war zones or combat zones so that you can survive and, and you'll be safe. Your brain does this thing so that it keeps you moving forward. It keeps your adrenaline going. It keeps your stress, um, your stress hormones going to protect you. Because if you stop to think about every traumatizing event you've been through, that wouldn't be safe for you. And I think the same happens with police officers too, and also with firefighters. While you're working your job, while you're doing this every day, and some of you guys are working overtime, while you're still working full-time and you're doing these things, your brain is engaged, is going, you're distracted. But as soon as folks retire, 
I found oftentimes this is when the things from the past come back to haunt them. A lot of times these traumas have been suppressed so that you can make it, so that you can manage because you feel like you have no other choice. So I would encourage folks who are first responders, firefighters, EMS, police officers, law enforcement, military gals and, and guys, please seek mental health services. Now, Mr. Dulcine, I want you to explain to the listeners, what should a parent tell their son or daughter, their teenager, their 20 something year old child, if they're stopped by the police officer, whether they're walking on foot or they're driving their car and they get pulled over, what should they do? How should they conduct themselves? So my best advice is to tell any parent is that, remember, you know, you want your child to come back home safe. You don't want your child to get hurt. You don't want your child to get arrested or anything like that. Police officers are human beings, like we were saying earlier. So let the child know that police officers are also human beings. And they're not, they're not machines, you know what I mean? They have feelings, they have families, just like they do. And so, and explain to them, they could have a bad day, they could have a good day. All of us mean well, we mean well. But any encounter can turn pretty bad, pretty quick, if not, you know, addressed properly. So if they get stopped by the police, always let them know, look, respect is a two-way street, right? They stop you with respect, let them say what they have to say. And also, even though police officers are, you know, trained to de-escalate situations, but also teach your child the same thing. So if the police stops you and for whatever reason you feel that they didn't come across in a proper way, you try to de-escalate the officer. You know, put up a smile and say, hey, how can I help you, officer? You know, a lot of people don't want to swallow their pride for whatever reason, and they rather have a confrontation with the police instead of just trying to play it off and just bringing down the issue so that you can just go home, you know, and they, they, they want to challenge the police because that's what everybody is doing. You know, it's, it's the cool thing to do nowadays. But at the end of the day, you know, you want your child to come home. And so you tell them, look, police officer stops you, be polite, be respectful. And whatever questions they have, answer their questions. You know, if you feel that they've been disrespectful to you, they're treating you in a wrong way, either ask for their name politely or the badge number, the ID number, look at it, they have it, you know, have it on their shirt and ask them. You say, officer, you know, why are you treating me this way? Politely. And you'll see how that will change. Because if you are being kind and your voice is down and you're not yelling, usually that will bring the other person down, whichever way it's going, whether it's the police first or the citizen first. The idea is that you want your child to come home to you. If anything happens inappropriately, you can always come back to the station later and file a complaint. But don't get into a confrontation with the police. Don't get into a you know shouting match. And God forbid, don't get into a fight with the officer. You know, because a lot of teenagers are doing that now. They're ganging out five, six, and they, you know, the police wants to arrest one, and then they'll everybody jumps in, they pull the officer, they grab the officer. Don't please do not do that. It's not the thing to do, you're just gonna make situations worse. Yeah, yeah. And please, when they stop you, don't say, what the fuck you stopped me for? Exactly. That's not going to help. <laughs> That's not going to no. help. No, don't give, don't give them all. attitude. Yeah. Respect don't is be, a two-way street. Yeah. yeah. You know, don't assume that the officer is a bad officer because of what you've seen on television. Um, you know, like you said, be respectful. Be respectful. And, um, and be kind because everyone has a bad day. Exactly. And um, yeah. And as you said, live to tell your side of the story. Don't leave everything up to this one person and saying what they allege that you did. You, if you don't live to tell your story, you're not there to dispute it. Exactly. And, you know, and, and like I said before, also, you know, I say it again, you know, we're all human beings. You said it also, we all have good days and bad days. The idea is to understand each other, try to come home. You know, they, you know, a lot of more police departments now do have the traffic, uh, I'm sorry, not the traffic, but the, the body-worn cameras. So the encounter can be seen. Most of the encounter, they're not 100% because sometimes you can't see the person's hands, the person's feet and things like that, depends on the angle of the camera. But that helps two ways. That helps the police, that helps the citizen. So those encounters are, are better for that reason, you know. But again, like you said, be respectful. Officers are human beings and we get scared too, you know what I mean? Mm 
when we stopping someone, I know people get upset when you say, hey man, do me a favor, let me make sure you have no weapons on you. Lift up your shirt for me. Just so I can be, you know, so I can put my guard down just a little, a little bit and we can have a decent conversation. But if she said, no, nah, man, I'm going to let you touch me. I'm going to let you see under my shirt. Now I have to think you may have a weapon. I'm a human being. I'm, I get scared too. And so again, same thing. Have a dialogue with the police. Speak respectfully. The conversation usually is going to end well, even if you do have to go to jail, right? And I, and I use this as, as an example. If you, if the police officer runs a plate on a car and the car comes back stolen, the officer put the lights on and the officer pulls the vehicle over and the vehicle just goes and pulls over, right? Once that happens, the person doesn't resist, gets down on the ground, put the hands behind their back. Nothing's going to happen. Believe me, you're just going to get handcuffed. And if you have to go to jail, you're going to go to jail. But now if you, start, you take off and you start running and you're running lights, running stop signs, uh, putting other people at risk, that officer being a human being, the adrenaline goes from zero to a hundred. You, you know, when the adrenaline rush is so great, you sometimes you don't even know what you're saying on the radio. And so when the person usually they either crash or they run out of, out of gas or the car just breaks down somehow. Now I have to chase you on foot. Now I have to run behind you chasing you on foot. The whole time I'm thinking you're running for something greater. Maybe you have a gun in the car. There's a body in the trunk of the car. I'm scared. The, when I catch up to you, it's very difficult for me to turn off the, uh, the fuse and say, okay, just, you know, put your hands behind your back. It's going to be difficult. I'm going to have to tackle you down. We're going to have to wrestle and then things get crazy from there. So every action has a reaction, you know, even if you have to go to jail because you got a warrant or whatever the case may be, you get to go to jail, you get to go home. Once you post bond or the judge let you out the next day, don't put up a fight. Yeah. Now I know you're not a lawyer but you did do policing for 25 years. So I know you know some things about the legalities. True or false, a police officer can stop you for whatever. They don't have to have a reason to stop you. No, that's false. I say that kind of loosely. Yeah, so, so if someone is, okay. So when someone is stopped by the police officer and the someone is like, I didn't do anything. Why'd you stop me, officer? The officer has to give that person a reason why they were stopped, correct? Yes, correct. That is correct. And so let's now, say- there's a, Now there's a time for everything. Sometimes they don't tell you right away because it could be, hey, there was a call about a person with you, you know, clothing that has a gun. So I, I may not want to tell you too much right away. I want to make sure that you don't have a gun and then I'll tell you, you know, that type right. of thing. In Sometimes case you're that person. Right exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So what if they stop you, you don't know what the reason is, they haven't told you, and then they start making commands, like you just said, pull up your shirt, open, pull, um, expose your pockets, open your bag, let me go into your car. They start demanding or commanding that you do things. Is that legal? Well, if it's, um, how do I explain? If it's, let's say, a felony stop, so you could be in a car with, someone that you don't know who just committed a crime or uh, you know a friend of yours come pick you up in a car and now you're going down the street you're going to go to the club or whatever police pulls them over and they start giving you this command step out of the car put your hands up in the air lift up your shirt get down to the ground i say you need to go ahead and do that because they're not going to tell you why they're doing it because chances are that vehicle is involved in something right so you don't want to challenge the police at that point because you don't know what's happening you know police are not going to take their time to tell you your car's involved in a robbery. And, you know, they don't want to tell you that. They're going to tell you commands to make the situation safe for everyone involved, right? For the police and for the citizens, anybody else as a bystander. So I say you need to follow the police and follow their commands. And why not? Once you're in handcuffs or patted down and you're sitting on the side of the road, then the police needs to tell you what happened. You know what I mean? For something like that. But if you're just walking down the street, if you're walking down the street and, you know, you're going to your friend's house, and the police says, hey, buddy, can I talk to you for a minute? Yeah, the, the officer can, you know, you say, what, what you stopping me for? He should, he or she should, should tell you why they're stopping you. Yes, situation like that, yes. Okay, all right, thank you for that information. I think a lot of folks get confused um, and especially like if you're just walking down the street and the officer stops you and says, hey, come over here, I need to talk to you. 
we're so defensive and we've seen so many things on television about police officers and black people that we don't feel comfortable. Yeah, I know. And I we're, know. we're defensive right away. I know. It's a very difficult job to do, let me tell you. Very difficult job to do. I think most officers, I'm sure most officers, you know, we mean well. There is a the couple, you know, that, you know, officers that I, that, that patrol their neighborhoods every day, because usually assigned to specific zone on a daily basis, and you are patrolling your zone, and then you happen to see a guy one day that you've never seen before, you know. Um, but you, you manage some, you know, some things that the guy is doing that you don't think is correct. The guy's walking, he takes three steps, he looks behind him, he takes three steps, he looks behind him. He sees a, a house with no cars in the driveway, he kind of slows down, looks in front of the house, and he goes to the next house, it goes the same, or he still goes back. You haven't broken any laws, but if I'm the officer in that area, I've never seen you before, even though it's 10 o'clock in the morning. See, most people don't realize that most presidential burglaries happen during the day. During the day when so, people are at work, yeah. Exactly. So I see something like that. I may want to talk to you and find out who you are. And I tell people, that, look, man, you didn't do anything wrong, but I just want to know, get to know who you are. This is, this is the area that I patrol every single day. I've never seen you before. And I see you stop, slow down a couple of houses, and you kind of look towards the houses. You keep looking back. I say, is that against the law? No, it's not against the law, buddy. It's not against the law, but I just, I like to talk to you. Now, if he says, F you, I'm not talking to you, I have nothing to hold him. You know what I mean? I have nothing to hold him. He's going to continue walking. You know, mm -hmm. he just, by law, you got to just cut him loose. What, what are you going to do? You know? Okay. This is a very difficult job, you know? <laughs> yes. So, so what would you tell your fellow comrades, the folks who are still out here thugging it out in the community as police officers, patrolling these streets, keeping our communities and our neighborhoods safe? What would you pass on to them? What would you share with them that you've learned from your 25 years of policing? I will tell them first and foremost is that be safe. Be safe. You know, be careful so you can go home every single night, number one, right? But I also tell them to not forget that we have a job and the title for the job is police officers. Not We're not lawmakers. We don't make laws, right? We just see enforcing laws. You're a law enforcement officer. We are only there to enforce the laws that are already in place. But we can't take our personal feelings and try to do certain things that we are not by law allowed to do. And I remind them that you're dealing with people, right? You have people, because you got this thing goes both ways. So you're a human being, you have your family at home, you have your children at home, you have your brothers, your sisters, your mom, your dad, your dad, right? Now you're stopping somebody out, out, somebody on the street in a car, whatever the case may be, or you're going to their home for whatever reason, because they call the police. You're dealing with people, somebody who also has family, just like you have family. And so you, the impact you make on that person that day, you know, a lot of times it lasts, you know, a lifetime, whether it's positive or negative. So as a police officer, the best you can do is try to make it a positive. Try to make it a positive. Because you can actually, you know, even save your life one day. Help save my life before, you know, doing the favors for someone. Save my life. Just being a little bit kind. Be kind. Be polite. Just understand that you are dealing with human beings. You know. All right. I love it. I like that advice. And that's advice that we all should, we should all follow is to be kind. Be kind, be kind, be kind. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the couch tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Dr. Thomas. I appreciate you. You're so very welcome. And enjoy your retirement, you know, do a little bit of traveling, even if you're taking road trips, drive around the United States of America and get to know your country. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> thank you so much. And again, right. thank you for all your help and all for your support. As you know, I told you before, I was seeing different people before, different psychologists, psychiatrists, and I just wasn't getting anywhere, wasn't getting any help. And so I, I'm very thankful for a friend of mine who referred me to you. I'm very thankful to you because uh, you've helped me a lot through the, I forgot how many years I've been seeing you now. Uh, but I thank you because, you know, I, I, a lot of the reasons why I'm here today, you know, I'm able to talk about my issues and getting better little by little is thanks to you. So I thank you so much and I, you know, God bless and I'll be seeing you soon.
Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Dulcine. Guys, we'll be back again next Sunday night. It's the end of an episode. Thank you guys for joining me on my couch. It's been a pleasure. It's Dr. Delvina. Remember, every day you must have brain love. Balance. You can't have all work and no play, and you can't have all play and no work. Reframe. Reframe your negative thinking. Think positively. Avoid negative people. Inside, everything you need, it's inside of you. Look inside yourself. Needs. Know your needs. Your needs come first, not everyone else's. Limitations. Limit your expectations of yourself. Ownership. Own your mistakes, learn from them, and move on. Vengeance is not yours. It's the Lord's. Express yourself. Every day, meaningful communication. Don't go to bed angry. And that's been my show, guys. Brain love.